Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Um, This past uh, Wednesday, there were a lot of people out due to various health issues, the COVID stuff, and so on and so forth. And so those of us who were here, we just kind of took everybody's names to prayer and prayed and then kind of went our separate ways. And so we're going to try. Man, we're trying to get the armor of God on y'all. And uh, we're really trying hard. But we're going to then move kids super church to wednesday and then the following wednesday will be candlelight and the last wednesday of the month will be the last piece of armor all right and so we're going to try to get you armed before 2021 and so we're going to try to do that and then we'll get back in good old john and be able to just get in the trenches with him all throughout the new year and just keep a rolling uh, with john on wednesdays but we need to get this armor on these kids and get this armor on us put you on the armor of god right so that we might be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand right uh, because sometimes there's we got to make every effort to stand in these times hallelujah so again uh, that will be super church wednesday candlelight super church wednesday all right and so uh, be looking forward to our candlelight service. Always a time of enjoyment. Uh, I'll, I'm going to be getting probably seeking out some readers. So if you hear from me in the next few days, uh, if you can be uh, helpful with me in that regard, that would be great as we travel through the biblical story of the announcement, the birth and such of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And we got some, uh, I know already from previewing it, we got some tremendous songs that are going to be uh, done. And we have maybe some other things that had not been done before. Uh, even outside of the realm of song. So uh, what are you doing? I'm teasing you, teasing you uh, to come and show up and uh, be a part of our candlelight service. We, did, we haven't been able to get together and do a Christmas dinner or a women dinner. So for sure coming for the candlelight. I mean, I haven't seen anything about you can't burn any candles. So, you know, I was yet, you know, so at this, at this stage, we're going to do it. You know, we're going to burn some candles and just keep those candles at six feet distance from anything that may catch on fire. You know, <laughs> amen. So, <laughs> amen. Again, I want to announce again one more time as well. And it's kind of been, uh, I guess it's happened prematurely, no fault of our own, really. Uh, but uh, come after the candlelight, we will be going strictly to audio only on our Facebook Live. Uh, again, uh, our quality due to our internet and stuff isn't all that grand concerning the video aspect, but the 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 video or the audio will still allow then the elders at home they can still listen to it live as it's happening, as it going on songs and the whole thing, the whole nine yards, and that will also that will also relieve Brother Alex Mason's equipment that we've been using ever since March. That again, I do doubt. Uh, is supposed to be used on that long of recordings that consecutively. Uh, That camera, in my opinion, is probably just for short little videos, not for hours. And so there's been a lot of time that's went on all of that. And so we want to relieve that. Amen. Trying to do the best that we can do with what we have in the moment. All right. Again, if you want to give to the media again, I know the the dollar amount is $3,800 for some other equipment. And then on top of that would be a higher monthly fee for internet that would be better service to be able to stream that without, uh, you know, almost getting a Japanese movie or anything. You know, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> And that's, that's no disregard to the Asians at all. That's just the way that it was. Okay. So I'm not saying that. I'm just... In today's age, it seems like you got to cross T's and dot I's, and I'm just saying I'm not being condescending uh, in saying that. Amen. Genesis 26, folks. I was telling my wife the other day. I, I keep I keep kind of like a Bible reading journal outside of writing in the margin of my Bible. Also, then have I keep leather journals. I write in them thoughts and stuff. Back early in November, on a particular day, it's like the Lord just 
boom, 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 boom. I got all kinds of stuff there. And last week's sermon kind of came from that moment. And tonight's sermon comes from that moment. And I still got some others that can be developed that come all from that moment. And so, uh, if you will, Genesis 26. I bet you can't, can't tell where I was reading around November, can you? <laughs> Genesis 26. In the first six verses. The first six verses of Genesis 26. And there was a famine. Everybody say a famine. There was a famine in the land. Beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech. King of the Philistines unto Jerah. Jerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land. And I will be with thee and will bless thee for. Unto thee and to thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. There was a famine in the land. And the Lord says, I want you, Isaac, to go over here unto Gerar. For a little while tonight, I want to minister this title the subject matter to this congregation this evening kept alive during a famine kept alive for the holy ghost during a famine father i come to you tonight God, I love you, Jesus, and I appreciate you. God, I feel your hand, Lord, upon me right now. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, today, God, if something can be conveyed, Lord, from these words on a page, these ancient words, Lord, that are inspired by the Holy Ghost that men have wrote, Men of old put pen to page, God. I pray, oh Lord, help somebody here tonight. God, help somebody here tonight. Help a church, Lord, here tonight. Help a people, I pray, oh Lord, here tonight. God, we confidently, Lord, lean upon you. We confidently put trust and confidence in you, Jesus, in this place. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And the church say, Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated this evening in Jesus' name. Kept alive during a famine. Throughout the biblical record, the scriptures are not foreign to times of famine. They had taken place seemingly, had been a center of focus throughout generations from early on to even later years throughout the New Testament, famine at some point of time were a part of life, a part of the generations of people from one generation to the next. If there was anything that they could share among themselves, they could probably share how their granddad or dad had went through a famine how they were met with this deplorable state of having lacked perhaps food, perhaps food for their animals, perhaps rain. As a matter of fact, in the scripture, most of us are probably familiar with what I would consider the most notable, if you want to call a famine notable, but uh, most notable famine in the book of Genesis where the Bible tells us that after seven years of plenty, it was that one that Pharaoh dreamed of. It was the one that Joseph had interpreted the dream about, that after seven years, 
years of plenty, there would follow seven years of famine, perhaps the most notable, seven years. And there's even real historical documentation concerning Egypt that that verifies even some of the stories of, of these long years of famine. It was a famine that stretched according to scripture over the entirety of the earth of that known time. It was not just impacting Egypt, but also surrounding areas. Throughout scripture, we see glimpses of times in different eras, in different moments that famine plagued the land. There was, the Bible tells us, during the reign of King David, there was a three consecutive year famine that he dealt with in his reign, during his kingship. And he was seeking for the answer to get the famine to end and and uh, he had some of Saul's sons uh, that were hung for the purpose of of healing the land of their famine there was a famine that was spoken of in scripture during the prophet Elijah who of course we know went in before Ahab and he prophesied that for three and a half years there would be no rain and as the results would be one thing would lead to another if you have no rain you're 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 eventually going to have have a famine because there's there's no water for the crops there's no water for the beast and so uh, a famine would give way and those type of conditions would arrive on the hills uh, on the hills of, of a three and a half year drought we read then now from Elijah's day to Elisha right the one that would follow him up there is another famine in the land it is a horrible condition during the time of Elisha so much so that it's there that we read the story of the four lepers that are sitting outside of Samaria that surmise among themselves that they may die from the famine just as likely as they might die from the leprosy that was in their body. That was just the condition of their times that if what they had personally in their body didn't kill them, then the surroundings of the lack that was a result of the famine surely would kill them. It's not just something regulated uh, to the Old Testament scripture. We also find it in the New Testament scripture as well famine being pervasive throughout the land it was prophesied in the book of Acts by a prophet that there would be a famine that would cover the entire Roman world of the then known day and again there is historical documentation that supports this thing that happened to famine throughout the land even in Rome in the New Testament scripture amen hallelujah but in our text The Bible speaks to us in our text of one of the patriarchs of the land of of Israel, Isaac, amen, that was faced with what would have been perhaps an all too familiar famine in his era. A famine in his time. And the Bible notes in particular that this was a famine in Isaac's day and that this was beside the first famine that his father Abraham had went through. In other words, what Isaac is contending with in this moment of a famine, it isn't an extension of the famine that Abraham had went through. No, this is a different famine. This is another time that they lacked. This is another time that there was a a scarcity, if you will, of water or or of food, or of things that they needed in order to live their life. His father had faced a famine in his generation, and now Isaac was facing a famine in his generation as well. And he was all too familiar, maybe from the stories of his dad, telling him how horrid it was, telling him how everything lacked, and things died, and and there was, if you will, many lives that were lost as a result of famine. Because whenever you talk about famines throughout Scripture, they happen for different reasons. Uh, the, The purpose of them were different. Many times famines were sent as a judgment by God. Sometimes he would send famine upon a land in order to get the attention of his people for them to review and to evaluate their ways and how they were living. Other times famine came because there was, as we've already pointed out, there was a lack of rain or 
there was a lack of water and that just kind of segued in to there being a famine in the land. Sometimes famine come uh, because there were insect infestations. The Bible speaks in the, the book of Joel how locusts came up on the land and it just totally ravaged their harvest and ravaged their fields and they're looking down upon you know just, just barrenness on the land that had fruitfulness and had, had wheat and but now it's all taken away by insects and so what was going to be food on their table now is just if you will crops that are just turned over in the soil because of infestations then other times there are hailstorms that would fall and beat down hard the, the harvest that was out into the field and it would result then in a famine there were other times that enemies one of their ways and one of the ways in which they were strategic in battle they would come around a city they would block every avenue in the city or out of the city so that the people could not get food from anywhere else except what was in the city sometimes even blocking off their water sources that city then was under siege by the enemy and sometimes famine would happen in a, a city because the enemy was around about there prohibiting any food or water from coming in but here's the fact of the matter concerning famine if you knew the cause of the famine if it was a lack of water or if it was an enemy if you knew the cause of the famine then you might be better equipped to provide a remedy to the famine. If you knew what caused it or what the fountainhead of it was, you might have a better idea how to battle it or remedy, amen, what was taking place. If it was an enemy siege around about your city, it might have meant that everybody's just going to have to buckle down for a little bit. We're going to have to ration our food. We're going to have to take lesser portions. We're going to have to take what we have as far as resources and make them stretch. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I know those that had ever lived through the depression, they would understand if they were here tonight what I'm talking about. Ration out that food. Just make it stretch just, you know, for a few more meals. If it was an enemy siege, you could do that. You had a remedy for it. If it was a lack of rain, amen, then you're going to have to come up with some other, some other way, some other alternative for watering your crop or some other, if you will, source for watering your crop, some type of irrigation for them so that you'll have something to harvest at harvest time. If it was because the land was suffering, amen, at the hand of judgment of God, if you knew that, then you could turn your face for, to God and you could plead for mercy and you could, you could make repentance unto God and make amends for whatever it may have been that, that upset the Lord or, or that got his judgment to come down upon you. But the thing about I, Genesis 26 is that we are not given a reason we're not given a reason for the famine. It doesn't say it's an enemy. It doesn't say a lack of water. It doesn't say a hailstorm or some type of insect infestation. It doesn't give a reason. And I declare unto us this evening that that is perhaps some of the most frustrating times of all when you're living during a famine, but you can't trace the cause some of the most frustrating times is that if it was an enemy, I would know how to remedy that. If it was the judgment of God, I would know how to remedy that. If it was a lack of water, I would know how to remedy that. But the fact of the matter is this, there are some times in our lives that we live through famines that we don't know the cause. And since we don't know the cause, we are grappling for a remedy. To something that we don't know how it even started. Someone say amen. I'm grabbing my check here. I don't know why. God bless it, anoint it, and multiply it. Amen. I guess I thought it was my hanky. <laughs> they might get a wet one before it's all said and done. It's in those times that you have a famine and you don't know its cause. Amen. And you don't call, you can't trace where it came from. It's in those times that you must surely feel like a loss. You must feel as though you are at a loss because I can't correct this if I don't know what is wrong. Isaac may have thought I can't correct this if I don't know what this is stemming from. I can't, I can't combat something that's invisible. I can't combat something that is, has an unknown source. And so where I'm 
I'm at in this moment is I'm just subjected then to everything that a famine entails. All of the distresses, all of the, if you will, other results, amen, that, that, that come along with famine. I guess I'm just at the mercy of whatever happens. I'm at the mercy of what would normally happen during a time of famine. And so as I began to survey the scripture and look at this famine and that famine that is mentioned in God's word, all of the documentation in this holy Bible, in my discovery, I come to realize very quickly that a famine is nothing short but of horrid. It's nothing short but of deplorable. As I looked in the scriptures, Famine are typically like this. They said when there was, and much of what I'm about ready to tell you is verbatim from God's word. A severe famine, according to God's word, it caused people to migrate, to, to migrate for food and to search eagerly for what they were lacking, to search eagerly for what they could not find within their space or within their area. The Bible describes on more than one occasion where famine entered an area or a land that people often fainted due to the hunger that they were experiencing. As I read the courses of scripture, it described that people during times of famine, they mourned, they wailed, they cried due to the condition that they found themselves in. They were dismayed and they were despairing. The Bible describes that during such times of famine, that even people's eyes failed from weeping. What are you saying? They cried so much and there was no moisture or water to drink that their, their eyes literally failed. Their vision become dim. Amen. Because of the famine that was in the land. It says and records in some of the prophetic books that there were shouts during the time of famine. But they weren't the shouts of joy. They weren't the shouts of gladness. They were the shouts of agony. Amen. Because they found their feet on the same turf as the famine. One writer said that you didn't find joy and gladness on the same landscape of famine. That just didn't happen. Amen. During times of famine, people are willing to trade. Amen. And barter some of their most prized possessions and treasures. Those items that they deem important. Those items that they say are meaningful to them. Just for a morsel of bread. Just for a little bit of food. During times of famine, you're willing to trade whatever you got for the purpose for a morsel of bread. During times of typical famine, it was typical that those people that were normally gentle and normally sensitive people, they didn't have any compassion on anybody else because of what they were going through. They didn't have no heart for anybody else, even those that were closest to them. There are multiple occasions. The Bible records that during times of famine, men and women ate their own children or ate dung of an animal because when you're in a famine you're in desperate times when you're in a famine you're in hopeless times when you're in a famine the world is closing in around you when you're in a famine you are looking out for the safety of your life whether or not you're going to make it through it if you're going to make it another day famine changes the scene of everybody's life the prophet said that the royalty in a time of famine is found laying on the ash heap and those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. That's what famine does to the great, to the small, to the rich, to the poor, to those in the palace or those in a, just a lesser structure. Famine changes life for everyone. Those that go through a famine, it leaves, I read it in scripture, it leaves people unrecognizable. Joe walked by in the good days, but after a few months of famine, is that Joe? They are unrecognizable. Their skin shrivels up on their bones as they are literally wasting away. Some have even testified in scripture, this is their words, not mine, that they had testified that it would have been better for them to die by the sword 
than to be ravished by a famine. So as Isaac comes to this moment of a famine in his era, having the stories of the famine that was in his father's era, knowing even as scripture portrays the destitute situation of a famine. He knows and understands the potential of the severity of the time in which he is living. He sets out perhaps to migrate, to search for food before all his joy is depleted. I'm gonna look, if you will, for a fountain or for a source before all my gladness is gone. I'm gonna go on a journey and try to find something to counterbalance all of this before I'm too weak to make the journey. Hallelujah. And so he's searching in this moment, Isaac is. He's searching for what he's lacking. He's searching for what he cannot find. And the Bible says he goes to Gerar. Not, listen, he goes to Gerar. Not as a destination, but as a path to a destination. The land of Gerar was located in the southern region of Israel. It was situated on the border of the land of Canaan before you would enter into the Egyptian area. Gerar was on route to Egypt. In other words, if one was to head to Egypt from the place where Isaac had been, you would most likely then travel through Gerar. The Bible says in verse 2 of our text, And the Lord appeared unto him, that is Isaac, and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. He says, I know you're on a journey, Isaac. I know you're migrating for food and searching for food and you're trying to find what you lack before it gets worse and you don't have the strength to do it. He says, but hear me plainly. I know what's in the back of your mind. You're headed down to Egypt, part and parcel, because that's where your daddy went. Part and parcel because that's where your daddy went whenever he was confronted with famine. He says, but listen to me well, Isaac. Dismiss that from your mind. Go not down into Egypt, but dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. In verse three, he said, sojourn in this land. He's referring to Gerar. And in verse number six, it says, and Isaac dwell in Gerar. In other words, the voice of the Lord was coming to Isaac in this moment. In his famine, his voice was strong. The voice of the Lord was adamant. He was urging Isaac, don't go down into Egypt. Amen. I know that you're trying and it seems like you're following the pattern of your father. Amen. But don't go down into Egypt. He says, if I can, if I can just do a little background story here, let's remember what happened when Abraham went down into Egypt. No sooner had Abraham entered into the land of Canaan that he realized there was a famine in the land. Right? Here's a man that's uprooted his family from Ur of Chaldees, his native land, his homeland, and when it was all said and done, he had traveled some 3,500 miles to the land that God pointed him to, but he didn't know where he was going when he started. He finds himself in Canaan where God had pointed him to. He's made this long trip, and he gets there, and there's famine. Think with me for a moment. Just, just, just for a moment. Let's put it in just modern day terms. You travel 3,500 miles. You get to where you're going and they don't have no food. Now listen. The last thing you want after a long trip through a lot of different terrain is to show up somewhere where they don't have any food. I'm telling you right now, even on a good day, if I get there late at night, I'm probably nibbling on something before I go to bed. 
The last thing you want is to show up. Amen. The last thing that Abraham wanted was to die in the land that God had directed him to. I show up. This is where God said go. And there's famine in the land. I don't want to die here. This is where God wanted me to go. And so the Bible says he's no sooner in Canaan. This is Abraham that he goes down into Egypt. Why? What's the mind frame of Abraham? He no doubt in generations before him had also been subjected to famine. Because in the back of the mind of Abraham is this I'm going to go to where the famine is not because one can scarcely live through a famine because if I don't do something I'm going to be as one of those that faint if I don't do something all joy and gladness is going to be depleted there's going to be shouts of agony if I don't do something my skin's going to shrivel upon my bones if I don't do something then this thing is going to turn in such a way amen that I might even look at some of my own children desire to put them upon hot coals if I don't do something I'll trade everything or whatever I got for them if I don't someone say amen hallelujah besides when we look at his trip to Egypt, Abraham's visit to Egypt, through perhaps Isaac's eyes, it weighed him down with all of the bounty of their land. The Bible says when he left Egypt, and it wasn't a real long stay from what we can glean from Scripture, that Abraham left with sheep and oxen and he asses, she asses, men servants, maid servants, camels. The Bible says that Abraham was rich in silver and in gold. And here is all these things that seemingly he got from his Egypt rather than staying at Canaan. And Isaac, the scripture says, inherited all of that. So in his mind, Brother Fred, he's equating stay where the famine's at or go to Egypt and come out with the bounty of Egypt. I inherited all this from dad to a great reason because dad went to Egypt during the famine. But when Abraham arrived in Canaan, He was perhaps more familiar in that moment. Abraham was just leaving a pagan society, a pagan upbringing. He was at that moment entering Canaan more familiar with the devastation of famine than he was the goodness of the land of promise. He was more familiar with the dynamics of famine than he was the faithfulness of the God of the land of promise that the Lord had taken him to. However, we learn real quickly through the biblical story that as Isaac is entering this famine, he is somewhat set aside from daddy because where daddy, this is his first experience of walking in Canaan. This is his first time of getting this land and there's famine and knowing all the dynamics of famine. This isn't the only time that Isaac's been in Canaan. This isn't his first time. Isaac, on the other hand, quite different from his father knew both the dynamics of a horrid famine but he also knew the goodness and the faithfulness of a God what are you saying I'm saying Isaac would just have to think for a moment when he was a young man and dad said hey Isaac you and I are going to go up Mount Moriah here on top of Mount Moriah and we're going to worship up there and Isaac turns to him and he says dad he says what about the lamb he says don't worry the Lord will provide himself a lamb you know what Isaac was saying in that moment dad we lack what's needed Dad, we lack what's needed, but it would be on top of that Mount Moriah as Isaac was bound to that altar of wood and of stone. Amen. And because there was no lamb apparent, because there was no sacrifice apparent, that interpreted then death for Isaac as he's bound upon that altar of wood and stone and death is interpreted upon him because there was something lacking because there was something lacking all of a sudden the Bible says lo and behold God provided a ram caught by 
by its horns in its thicket to take the place of Isaac. What are you saying tonight, Brother McGee? I'm telling you this. Isaac, at this moment in time of this famine in his life, understanding there were some things lacking, he understood a time in his past also that there was something that was lacking and he knew it was leading to death, but he also knew in the same scenario that there was a God's provision that could save a person who was lacking. Oh, yes. Someone say amen. And so the voice of the Lord cries out to him, Isaac, in this moment in Genesis 26. Don't go down into Egypt. Isaac, right now where you are, in your place of life, you know more than your father Abraham knew when he first arrived at Canaan and was faced with famine. Your inexperienced father seen Egypt as the answer to his famine. And yet Egypt even send him away almost as quickly as his came. But Isaac, you're not like daddy. This ain't your first interaction with Canaan and this isn't the first time you lack. Isaac, don't go down into Egypt because Isaac, you know better. Isaac, don't go down into Egypt because Isaac, you've experienced more. Isaac, don't go down into Egypt because this isn't the first time that you looked at death in the face because something was lacking. Don't turn to Egypt for your answer. Don't make the mistake, amen, like someone who's inexperienced. He says, because I will be with you. Say amen. That sounds grand. I kind of like the sound of it. It has a nice little ring to it, Lord. What you say is true. My experience is, is better than dad's was when he was met with his famine. Now that I'm being met with mine, all that fine sounds fine. Amen and well until we realize that Gerard is in the southern most arid region of Israel. It's in the area of Israel that's known for being dry, parched, and mostly and typically a barren landscape. As a matter of fact, some of the rabbinical commentaries say that the land in which Isaac was in Gerar was hard ground that usually on during normal seasons and normal days usually did not produce much. Normally it didn't produce much. But this is famine time. It doesn't take rocket science to start thinking if this doesn't produce much when things are well, how much is it going to produce when things are not well? If it doesn't do much when the rain is falling, and the people are in harmony with God and there's no judgment, and the enemies are at bay, he said, then what is it going to do when there's famine in the land? For that matter, they say that it was so parched. And we read this in Genesis 26. Amen. That the people dug wells. And that one time when they had finally found water by digging the well, the Bible says, as though to their surprise, they said, we have found water. As though like, whoa, boys, look what we got here. We found water, amen, because they were surprised that in this parched, arid, dry land that they could even dig deep enough. That they could even dig deep enough to find some water and to top it all off at insult to injury. It is described as being or existing near or in a valley. So it's famine time. God says, go to the land that I told you. There's Gerar. It's dry. 
It's parched in normal seasons. It's barren most of the time. It's famine time. And it's a valley. Get you a bumper sticker while you're there, Isaac. Someone say amen. I'm sure at this moment, as Isaac begins to take all this in, knowing the dynamics of famine, aware of the situation of the place that the Lord said, this is where you're going to be, Gerar. Amen. During this famine, I'm sure Isaac is beginning to question God as most of us probably would. God is, is you know, you serious about this? Is this my location? Is this the answer to the famine that I'm experiencing? Is this dry, parched land really, amen, that has trouble yielding on good days? This is where I'm supposed to be? Are you telling me this is really better than Egypt than like my daddy went down to? Are you sure that this trumps, you know, continuing to search and migrate and look for food and for water? God, am I to live through a famine which in a place is normally dry? I don't know if anybody's picking up what I'm laying down tonight. But there are times in life that famines come and they ravage our Christian experience and they ravage our Christian journey. And it seems like the place that God puts us in places us. Amen. It doesn't seem like it would be profitable during a time of famine. It seems as though he has given or offered the wrong answer. Amen. To our dilemma. It's not as though it's going to make the famine better. In our minds, it's though it's going to get worse. If he wants to finish me off, he's put me right where I need to be in order to be finished off. This is dry. This is arid. This is parched. I'm a, my joy and gladness is going to be out the door just like it should be in famine. All these things are going to come upon me. But the Bible states these words in verse 12. At Gerar, amen, where Isaac was told to dwell and he did. It says in verse 12, then Isaac sold in that land. He sold in Gerar and received in, everybody say the same year, and received in the same year a hundred Fold. Do you understand what that means? If we do the math, it's as though if he put in one seed, he got a hundred back. It produced a hundred percent, a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the Bible says, and the man Isaac waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. Verse 14, for he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, a great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. What are you saying? I'm saying in this place that's dry and arid and barren even on good days, in the middle of a famine, when you're supposed to be trading all for a morsel of bread, when you're supposed to be migrating and searching for food, Isaac invested in the ground of Gerar, that dry, arid place, and he got back a hundredfold, and he became great, and God blessed him, and his flocks increased, and his herds increased, and all of that happened in a dry place smack dab in the middle of a smack dab in the middle of a famine what are you saying tonight I'm saying I know you are familiar with all the details and what entails a famine I know you're familiar maybe where the place you are but as you are trying to calculate what a famine normally does and what this place is known for you got to step back and consider the God factor in the equation because God has the ability to keep you alive even during a famine God has the ability to keep you alive when there's no rain, when there's a parched ground, when there's barren land. God has the ability. Isaac stayed in Gerar during this famine because God told him don't go to Egypt. Go to the land that I prescribe unto you. And so Isaac's obedience to the Lord. But if I can marry with that, his obedience to the Lord and having the presence of the Lord. Because he told him, I will be with you. In the famine. In the parched barren land. I will be with you. So it's not just that he was obedient, but he also had God's presence 
in that prescribed place. And as a result, God brings blessing upon Isaac's life and keeps him alive during a famine. He sowed that land. It's important that that land, one of them to know, it's the land that the Lord said for him to go to. Not Egypt, that land. He sowed in a famine-stricken land. Do you get it? Can you, can you start to wrap your mind around that? No water. Things are dying all around you. I think I'm going to, you know, I think I'll just plant some seed here. Come on. And yet in the same year, this is not a condition of three years of trying and then it happening on the fourth year. In the same year, he reaps a hundredfold and he becomes rich and very rich all during the time of famine in the least likely of place, even under normal circumstances, that would produce. Flocks, herds increasing. Servants increasing. And know what the Bible says Whew, in verse 14. And the Philistines... And the Philistines envied him. <laughs> they envied him. Nothing is said in this moment that the Philistines hated Isaac. But the word is particular. They envied Isaac. Now, we know according to the word of God that the Philistines, the Philistines are known as the enemy of Israel. Known as the enemy of the patriarchs. But at this moment, in the middle of a famine, when gladness and joy is depleting among the masses and the skin is shriveling up on their bones, in this moment of time, the Philistines are envying Isaac. What that means is this. The Philistines are desiring to have and possess what Isaac had. Why some of those Philistines might be looking at one another and saying, which child are we going to put on the coast tonight in order to live another day? Their eyes are peering over into the camp of Isaac and they're hearing shouts, but it's not of sorrow. It's of joy and gladness in a barren, arid land. Oh, Shia, because God has the ability to keep a man alive. Woo, he even during a time of famine, they envied him. You know what they're thinking? I wish we could trade places. I, I wish I had what you got. I wish I was experiencing what you was experiencing. I wish we were going through this famine the way that you're going through this famine. I know we're your enemy, but I would trade places with you right now. That's not due to the land. That's not due, if you will, to having an upper leg in his own self. That's all due to his God. God has the ability to keep you alive. Even in a famine. Those Philistines are looking. They know the dynamics of famine. But when they look at Isaac. He's growing. Family, servants, livestock, harvest. In the middle of a famine. He's glad. He's got joy. In the middle of of the famine. He's not hung over some yoke somewhere crying. His skin, he looks quite plush. His skin isn't cleaving to his bones. He's not on a search or a migration for some morsel of bread or some food somewhere in some land. He's not trying to exchange all things that are important and precious to him just for one more day, one more morsel, one more day of existence. He's not intolerable. He's all right to be around because he's living during the famine. He's not dying during a famine. He's, I wish somebody would understand tonight. You don't have to have option B and say this is what society, this is what circumstance tell me. I got to die during this. No, no, no. There's another option. You can live during your famine. You can live during your barren place. You can. Yes. In essence, God had basically told Isaac, where I prescribe, you abide. 
I prescribe Jira, you abide. But what happened there, Bishop, is more so attributed to the presence of God than it is the place within itself. I want you to notice something right here. If you look back when the Lord told him to sojourn there and that he would be with him there and would bless him in verse 3, you can look at it. He tells Isaac, I will give all these countries and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham, thy father. Isaac, as I told Abraham, I'm going to give you all these countries to you and to your seed. What's he saying? I'm going to give Canaan to you. I'm going to give the promised land to you. Listen to me very clearly. Before they ever entered years later across the Jordan to Canaan, remember the words that were trinkling around. It's a land that flows, right? With milk and honey, which just bespeaks of its richness. It's fertile land. God is conveying something to Isaac in this moment. That Cain and in all these countries that I said I'd give to your father and to you, they're just not rich and fertile. But there are sections, hear me right now. There are sections in your land of promise that are like Gerar. He said there's places that are rich and fertile. In what I'm going to give you. But there are also some sections that are dry and parched. There are both mountain ranges in this land that I promised you. But next to them there are valleys. Woo! There are cities in this land that I promised you. But there's also some deserts. And there are some wilderness areas as well. He said, I said, I'm going to give this all to you. But I want you to understand that Canaan isn't all about rich and fertile. There's dry parched places too. But Isaac, nonetheless, understand this. That that land of Canaan, that land of promise, I promised to your dad and to you. It's a land that I am tethered to. It is a land that I am associated with. Mm. In other words, I'm just as much associated, associated with the fertile and the rich plains as I am with the parched, barren, arid places. I'm just as much associated with the mountains in the land as I am with the valleys in the land. I'm just as much associated amen with the cities and the towns as I am the desert and the wilderness in this area. And so as a result it was a land though it may be struck with famine. God could sustain a man and keep him alive. Whether it be mountain, valley, city, desert, arid, parched, or fertile. Because God was tethered to that land. I'm here to tell somebody tonight that the land of promise that many times God has conveyed to us, it's not always fertile. It's not always rich. Amen. It's not always green pastures. and It's not always mountains. The mountains give away to the valleys which are beside it. It's not always still waters. Amen. Sometimes it is, yes. But I'm here to tell somebody tonight that you'll probably in Canaan experience the valley of the shadow of death as well. You'll probably in Canaan, yes, experience some dry, arid times as well. There's going to be some hopeless seasons. There's going to be some threat of famine upon your life you're going to have feelings at time in your Christian journey that you're wasting away and you're going to have a sense of lack upon your life and you're going to be trying to look for what is missing you're going to want to give up and just exchange it all for some contentment and satisfaction but understand well it's in those moments that God can keep you alive even during a I'm preaching long and I don't know why, but it just is what it is. In Job chapter number five, 
you and read of it. These are the words of a life has, and I believe that they come to bear and apply uh, for what we've been talking about here tonight. He said, God, remember all of Job's dilemma and calamity. What he spoke actually in this moment, there was a lot of things that they spoke that they were true. Sometimes their truth was misapplied. But they spoke and he said, God shall deliver thee in six troubles. Yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. He says, in famine, he shall redeem thee from death. A little further down in verse 22, he says, at destruction and famine, Job, thou shalt laugh. That don't sound like joy has been depleted. That don't sound like gladness has taken his exit. He says, I'm here to tell you, Job, he says, I shall redeem you from famine. So much so you can get up on your heels and you can look famine in the face and you can laugh at it. Why? Because God is with me. How can I laugh at famine? Because God has kept me alive in the middle of all this. God has sustained God has sustained me in the when others tell me I should be dying, when others tell me I should be grieving, when others tell me I should be throwing the towel. God said, Live, man, live, man, turn your head around and laugh at the family. The psalmist said, Amen, that a little righteous man, that a, a, a that a little the little a righteous man has, rather, is better than the riches of the wicked. He said, The Lord will uphold the righteous. He said the Lord knows the days of the righteous. This is in Psalms 37. And he goes on to say this, and in the days of famine, he said the righteous man shall be satisfied. Well done. That's not the proper prescription and way that a famine operates. It does when you're in a place that is tethered to the Lord. It does when you're in a place that's associated with God. The psalmist says in Psalms 33 verse 18, he says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope, I like this, in his mercy, verse 19, to deliver their soul from death, to keep, look at this, to keep them alive in famine. Verse 20, our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. You know what it's saying? We're hoping in his mercy. And if he is the one that is able to keep me alive in famine, then I'm not searching. I'm not migrating. I'm just going to stay right here and wait. My soul doth wait upon the Lord because he's my help. He's my shield. Okay, I'm wearing you all out, ain't I? I'm the one sweating, though. So what are you saying tonight? I'm saying trust the Lord. What are you saying? I'm saying have confidence have confidence in God. He's your God. I'm coming to a close. You can stand with me and I might be able to wrap it up here within <coughs> two minutes or more. In the book of Judges, as it comes to a completion, comes another book, the book of Ruth. In the book of Judges, the common theme and the phrase that highlights and even describes the whole tempo of Judges is that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's the story of Judges. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. And, and on, the, on, the, on the closure of Judges comes the book of Ruth, where the Bible says a man by the name of Elimelech, whose name happens to mean God, my God is king. This man does also what's right in his own eyes. His name betrayed his actions. He said, God is my king, but he's in this era of time that he's doing just what he thinks is right in his own eyes, just like all those that have preceded him in the book of Judges. And the Bible says what he does is that he follows a path and takes his family away from Bethlehem, Judah, which literally means the house of bread praised or celebrated. The, the house of bread celebrated. He does this because there's a famine. In Bethlehem, Judah. He does it because of family. He takes his wife, he takes his children, and he goes to dwell in the country of Moab, which is outside of Canaan. Are you listening to me? It's not a part of the promised land. And while there, 
the sad commentary upon the life of Elimelech and his two sons, they all die. Elimelech dies. His two sons die in Moab. And after 10 years of being there, his wife Ruth gets this gumption understanding. She knows what? She says, I'm ready to go back home. I'm ready to go back to Bethlehem, Judah. This is important to me, I believe, in Ruth 1 and 6. She says, I'm ready to go back home because she has heard rumored from the land that God gave the land that when they left that had been stricken with famine, God had gave the land bread. It's a famine land. But she hears the land that she left that was in famine, thinking she's going to go to a better position or place. She's lost family here. But she says, that land back there, I hear there's bread. And the Bible says she left them the famished land when she did, her and her husband and children. When she left the land that had famine, you can read it, Ruth 121. This is so just mind-blowing to me. When she, listen, when she left the land that had famine, the Bible says she was full. But when she returns back home from Moab, she goes home empty. There's just something about that statement that just really doesn't pan out. You leave a famine land full, but a land that's supposed to be able to be sufficient and enough, you leave there empty. And so she returns back to Bethlehem, Judah. And please note, as she's coming back, she says, don't call me, don't call me anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. When as Naomi is going back, I, I, Ruth was not Elimelech's husband, it was Naomi. But whenever Ruth is going back with his, her mother-in-law, and it's Naomi, the one that was left fool and came back empty, I threw Ruth in there, okay? Ruth is a daughter-in-law to Naomi. But whenever Naomi goes back, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Why? Because I'm bitter. I'm bitter. Why are you bitter, Naomi? Why are you bitter? Because I'm bitter about everything that happened in Moab. I'm bitter that I lost my husband in Moab. He died. I'm bitter that I lost my two sons in Moab. They died. That's what we expected to happen if we stayed in the family. That's that's the writing upon our door if we stayed in famine. That's the dynamics of a famine. But we went to Moab and my sons and my husband are dead in the ground. So I'm bitter because I understand now that God could have kept us alive even during a famine. I'm trying to tell someone tonight don't be in a place sometime removed from now and migrate and go searching for what you're lacking only to find out when you arrive if it's if it's outside of the arena and the element that's tethered and associated with God that you may lose more there than what you would have lost if you just stayed and depended upon him during the time of your famine. Because the fact of the matter is this. If the scripture relates all these different eras of time and generation where people have experienced famine, you know what that tells me? They come. But as much as they come, they also go. They enter our lives and they leave our lives. But God told me he would be with me. And that he would bless me. And look now. And that he would give me this country. Whew. That dry, arid place you are today. Don't mislabel it. He said, that's your land of promise. Hold on. That dry, arid place you are today. That place where the famine is today. That's your promise. Folks, the promise doesn't always look the same. 
There's different regions, there's different areas, there's different climates, if you will, in this Christian journey and this walk. But I have this confidence. Mountain, valley, plain, city, arid, wet. Nonetheless, as long as it's associated with Him, He has the ability to keep us all alive, even during our famines. If we close our eyes all across this place, there may be someone under the sound of my voice tonight saying, Brother McGee, I lack. Brother McGee, I lack. I've set out on a journey. I'm in a migratory pattern right now because I'm on a search for what I lack. I'm afraid it's going to deplete, deplete all my joy. I'm afraid it's, going to, afraid it's going to snuff out my gladness. I'm afraid it's going to put me in a compromising position where I'll be willing to trade those things that I deem important just for, just for what I lack. I'm on a journey. Some may be on a journey in, in a distant land. May, some may be thinking as maybe forefathers or others before you have thought that maybe Egypt is the answer. Maybe going to Egypt, that's the answer. But God has shown up in this moment on this night and is telling someone tonight, don't go down to Egypt. Don't go down to Egypt. You're more experienced than what some of those that before you are who went down to Egypt. You know more. You've lacked at other times and you've seen you have seen how God has the ability to be that Jehovah Jireh. You have seen how He has provided. You have seen how He can cause someone even to live during a time of a famine. I'm asking someone tonight that may be disheartened. I'm asking somebody tonight that might truly feel and sense the arid barrenness of the land in which you live. That God is just asking you to put some seed in the ground and see if I won't give you a hundredfold. See if I won't cause you to increase your mid-servants, your maid-servants, your, your I'll let you plant in the same year I'll let you reap in a barren famine land because I I have the ability to cause you to live even in some of the most unfavorable times is there somebody in this house whether at your pew or at an altar tonight that you would embrace the Lord that you would embrace that place that he has you that land he has prescribed for you though it doesn't look promising it is the promised land for you and it's the place where God will keep you alive during your famine will someone put their hope in God will someone put their confidence in God will somebody tether them to their master tonight and have the reassurance of the provision of our God and his ability to beat all odds to beat all the typical normalities of the way it ought to go and change it up and bring increase and fruitfulness for your life somebody here tonight needed this word of the Lord I believe that in my soul and my spirit somebody tonight needed this word you're going through a famine you're going through a dry spell things are not looking favorable towards you but then God just came down and reassured you you're where I have you at and you're where I've told you to be and I am tethered I have an obligation to this land and so if you're here I have an obligation to you Woo! hallelujah Jesus oh let's talk to the Lord as we sing I know we still got an offering but right now we have an altar call hallelujah let's talk to the Lord right now Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.